Good morning, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Archbishop Malcolm McMahon, and I'm the Vice President of the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Before I report on the work of the bishops this week, I would like to introduce certain people to you, a panel who are here today, to take your questions through me. And the first person I'd like to introduce is, is Mr. Ian Elliott, who was the person commissioned by the, the NCSC, that's the, the National Commission for Safeguarding of Children, and he is a world expert on this business of, of, of safeguarding, um, and he conducted a review for us. We also have with us Mrs. Carol Lawrence, who was a member of his review panel. She is the finance and chief operating officer for uh, Shrewsbury Diocese. We also have Bishop Paul Mason, who was a member of the steering committee of the panel, and Bishop Marcus Stock, who is also a member of that panel. In addition, we also have Dr. Colette Limbrick, who is the director of the Catholic Safeguarding Advisory Service. So that's our group who are here to, to take your questions later on. But now I'd like just to read the statement on safeguarding, which was prepared at this week's meeting, plenary meeting of the Catholic bishops of England and Wales. The account given in the ICSA report of abuse known to be inflicted on children in the Catholic Church in England and Wales in the past 50 years is shocking and overwhelming. And at our meeting this week, we bishops have stood together in profound shame. We express our sorrow and our contrition before God. We have reflected on our need to reach out afresh to those who bear the wounds of permanent damage caused by this abuse. We commit ourselves to listen more intently to those who have been abused, so as to learn from them and benefit from their wisdom. It's through learning from their testimony that hearts are changed. And we're grateful to those survivors who have come forward, not only to lay before us their experience of abuse, but to help us understand the depths of their pain. And we invite anyone who has experienced abuse to come forward, no matter how long ago the abuse took place. We undertake to listen carefully to them with open heart and mind and support them on the journey of healing. We've carefully considered the recommendations of the ICSA report and formally accepted them. We have already begun work towards their implementation. The ICSA's generic hearings into the church began last October. And around that time, we commissioned an independent review of our safeguarding structures and arrangements in the Catholic Church in England and Wales. And this was carried out by Mr. Ian Elliott, an experienced safeguarding professional who has worked across the world in this area. This week, alongside the ICSA report, we have also examined in depth the final report of the Elliott Review and fully accepted its recommendations. It is a searching analysis of our safeguarding work in its weaknesses and strengths, and it proposes a number of remedial and forward-looking recommendations which accord with the ICSA report's own recommendations. 
the work of implementation will begin immediately and it will be carried out in close cooperation with the religious orders who play such an important part in the life of the church. In all our activities, our desire and resolve is to be a church in which every child and vulnerable person is not only safe, but nurtured into human flourishing. These recommendations present us with steps towards this goal. Key to them is a standards-based approach to safeguarding, together with a specially commissioned national body with powers of effective audit and oversight of safeguarding in both dioceses and religious orders. Everyone in the church will be required to work to clear published standards of behavior and action. Most significantly, the Elliott Report has been fashioned with the participation of survivors of abuse. Their insight and wisdom has been crucial, and we thank them for their great courage and generosity in working with us, and we look forward to continuing this growing collaboration. The Elliott Report builds on all that has been achieved in our safeguarding ministry in the past 20 years. Achievements also recognized in the ICSA report. Therefore, we thank profoundly all who contribute to the work of safeguarding in the church today. The thousands of parish safeguarding representatives, the professionals who work in our safeguarding offices in every diocese, the safeguarding commissions who oversee this work and give objective and professional advice to guide our decisions, the staff of the Catholic Safeguarding Advisory Service, and those who serve on the National Catholic Safeguarding Commission. These and many others have contributed greatly to the current work of safeguarding in the church. Today, however, we acknowledge without hesitation our failings, our mistakes, our lack of adequate cooperation. We express our deep sorrow and ask forgiveness especially from victims and survivors. We affirm our resolve to effect the next step in our work of safeguarding and care for survivors. And in prayer, we turn to Christ the Good Shepherd, the fount of healing and compassion, asking that this moment of painful truth becomes a time of grace as we strive to fulfill the ministry entrusted to us as bishops in an unshakable unity of purpose. That was the statement from the Bishops' Conference this week. So I think I'd now like to invite Ian Elliott to speak to us about his work. Thank you and good morning. Thank you, Archbishop McMahon. As um, you introduced me, he's an independent safeguarding consultant. I've had the opportunity of, of uh, working in this field uh, for a very long period of time, but as an independent safeguarding consultant for approximately the last 10 years and, and as was stated in various locations across the world. Over the course of the last year, I have chaired an independent review process, looking at the safeguarding structure and arrangements within the Catholic Church in England and Wales. The review panel members were all people from within the church, but we drew heavily upon others inside and outside of the church in our work. 
the final report, along with 15 recommendations, were presented to the bishops and considered by them this week in their plenary meeting. I'm pleased to confirm that they have accepted all of them without alteration or amendment, but also importantly committed themselves to implementing them fully. The review process, when I started it, my plan was did not take account of the arrival of um, a major health crisis, which had a massive impact on how we processed the review. It meant that travel was extremely difficult. Face-to-face -face meetings and conversations with people uh, had to be limited. And a large part of the work was done remotely and through Zoom meetings as we're having this morning. But despite that, many of those conversations were very rich in terms of their content. And we have done, I think, a piece of work, which I personally am proud, and it reflects the commitment and hard work of a large number of people, but also importantly, those who have been hurt through contact with the church and who have been prepared to share their wisdom, we have benefited very greatly uh, as a result. In pursuing that knowledge, we have sought to access it through one-to-one -one conversations in ways that are sensitive to the individual situation of each person. We have not and did not establish a work stream in terms of the review process which had its title of working with and drawing on the knowledge of survivors. And the reason why we made that decision was very simply because we know in many situations, these individuals are not comfortable in speaking within a committee or group situation. They much prefer to have one-to-one -one conversations with a trusted individual. But it's also important to recognize and take account of that there is a real desire on many of them to make a contribution, to share their knowledge, to exert what influence they can on bringing about change. And I personally want to thank them very greatly for uh, their willingness to do that. The report argues for structural change in the creation of a new body, which we have termed the Catholic Safeguarding Standards Agency. And this will sit at the center of the church, but that does not mean that it will be located simply in one place. And it does not necessarily mean that that place will be London. It will provide a number of services uh, to the whole church, and it will do so on a different basis to that which currently underpins the operation of the present structure. Currently, there is a reliance on advisory relationships between the national bodies of the Catholic Safeguarding Advisory Service and the National Catholic Safeguarding Commission and the rest of the church. We do not believe that those advisory relationships are appropriate for what needs to be in place. Therefore, we have argued that a new structure should be adopted a new body created, and that body should be empowered 
to set safeguarding standards, to provide a robust audit and review service, and to take responsibility for intervening where it believes inadequate or poor practice has taken place. It can direct change. In other words, it will have powers that currently CSAS does not have. Introducing a standards-based approach is a critical new development that follows initiatives that have taken place uh, already in uh, other parts of the world, in Ireland, in Australia, and in the United States. I've had the opportunity personally to be involved in those locations. We are recommending eight standards to be adopted, eight safeguarding standards to be adopted. And the first one of which is that safeguarding is embedded in the church's leadership, governance, ministry, and culture. And this underpins all of the other recommendations that we have argued for. Central to all of our recommendations is also the desire to introduce a one church strategy. Others have previously spoken of following a one church approach. But when I examined what was actually in place in England and Wales, I found a lot of difference. This has to be replaced with greater uniformity, greater conformity to agreed standards that reflect the basic commitments and values of the church. The structure of the institution itself is a major challenge. I'm not a member of the church. It remains a challenge to me to try to get my head around the complex nature of the institution and the relationships that exist within it. There are a variety of bodies that together make up what people understand to be the Catholic Church in England and Wales. In our work, there was a need to establish boundaries and to be as precise as possible in terms of our use of language. We sought to replace the term religious with a more precise definition being institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life, which is quite a mouthful. This is where the term ICLSAL, I-C-L-S-A-L, comes from as it is an acronym for these bodies. Currently, the safeguarding needs of ICLSAL are met largely through a process of alignment. This term refers to these bodies being individually matched up with dioceses and their safeguarding resources. And then they try to meet the needs of ICLSAL bodies that are matched in this way by drawing on those safeguarding resources. It was widely reported to us that the structure was not working well and needed to be changed. There were some cases where it was working well, but overall, it was not working well. We have recommended that it be replaced by the creation of a dedicated safeguarding resource to serve Ickelsall alone. This resource will be sensitive to the particular needs of religious life and practices. It will work closely with the new body and be bound by the safeguarding standards that will be set down and agreed for the church. We have also argued for the creation of a national tribunal service, taking account of the fact that the church has its own body of canon law. 
when situations arise that create safeguarding concerns, it is imperative that they are reported quickly to the statutory authorities, being the police and the social services, but also that canonical issues are addressed in a timely and fair way. We would argue that the establishment of a national tribunal service within the geographical entity of England or Wales will create a better and speedier resolution to these sometimes difficult situations. The review sets down a path for the church to follow that has the aim of achieving uniform, high quality safeguarding practice that is verifiable across the church. Hard lessons have to be learned and the way forward has to accept the change is a very necessary part of this learning process. The review report is, I believe, a sound step forward for the church and I commend it to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ian. I now invite Bishop Marcus Stock, to, who is a member of the steering committee, to talk about the implementation of your recommendations. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Marcus Stock. I'm the Bishop of Leeds. Um, I've been a member of the National Catholic Safeguarding Commission as its Bishop Vice Chair. And I've also been recently um, asked by the bishops to chair the steering committee, which provided a quick response to the members of the independent review panel in terms of the uh, proposals that they were putting forward. It was important that they had a, a quick and structured response to the recommendations as they were being formed. And so the members of the steering committee provided that function. It was comprised of two bishops, three superiors of religious orders, the chair of the National Catholic Safeguarding Commission, and the representative from the Conference of Diocesan Financial Secretaries. And that same body has now been asked by the bishops to become an implementation committee. That doesn't mean that this committee is actually going to be implementing all the recommendations, but establishing um, who and how this is going to be taken forward in a timely fashion. So, in addition, that body will need, um, as it's being called the Implementation Committee, we will need to seek the support of some of the members of the review panel and to identify other professional advisors. And the review of the committee is, is to scope out the immediate next steps which need to be taken. And this will include the establishment of a implementation task force. That will be the body that will take forward these recommendations. And we will need to procure a professional leadership for that body of an experienced project manager. The committee will also examine the governance structure that will need to be needed to oversee the work of the task force and we will also need to ensure that there is a process which enables the involvement of survivors in the implementation stage in carrying out the wise consultancy role that they have done in the review stage. Much of the criticism of the church within ICSA um, in its report expressed, and that criticism expressed by survivors, 
is the slow speed of change and action taken within the governance structures of the church. And the bishops have fully recognized this and have already agreed to adapt the pattern and frequency of their plenary meetings to ensure that in future decisions can be taken not only in a timely fashion, but also to ensure that all the bishops are kept regularly informed and take responsibility for the decisions that need to be made. So a part of the role of the committee will be to propose a clear timetable for the implementation of the Elliott Review's recommendations. I can imagine that many people are asking the questions, the church had some safeguarding procedures in 1994. They were reviewed by the Nolan Report in 2001. They had another review in 2007 with the Cumberledge Commission Report. And here they are again having yet another review um, with new proposed structures and recommendations. What makes them think there will be any difference? But the difference is in many of the elements that have just been set out by Ian Elliott in his review. And key amongst those is the involvement of victims and survivors in the recommendations that are being taken forward. Also, the standards-based approach, which will reflect a more robust one-church strategy, and also clear lines of accountability within those structures, which perhaps were not as clear as they should have been when they were established in previous times. So the work of the committee will be hopefully to ensure that all the elements that make this distinctive in its approach will continue throughout the implementation stage. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bishop Marcus. I will now ask um, Dr. Colette Limbrick, who is the director of the Catholic Safeguarding Advisory Service, to talk about ongoing improvement and the relationship of CSAS to the report. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, well, as you've heard, the church is on a continual road to improvement. Um, and from um, an operational perspective, changes to structure and arrangements are an inevitable part of this. But prior to the publication of the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse report, work was already underway on implementation of some of the recommendations that it contains. We certainly haven't been standing still. Uh, for example, revisions had already been made to the national safeguarding policies and procedures, and they, they will be subject to further revisions and realignment as we implement the new standard approach. This week, bishops have approved a national template policy and procedure for the management of complaints about safeguarding services. That was another recommendation that we were already working on. There's already a lot of training provision in place, uh, online and face-to-face -face in some places for volunteers. We've yet to make this mandatory and under the standards-based approach, we will have the mechan mechanisms to do so. CSAS, that's the Catholic Safeguarding Advisory Service, is already engaged in developing a framework of training for safeguarding roles. And this, will work, this work will address the independent inquiry recommendation for mandatory training for volunteers and for staff. And again, this will align to the standards-based approach. Additionally, we're working with the Conference of Religious and other colleagues across the church on addressing the very specific training needs for religious communities. 
I'm not going to go into much more detail, but just to say we're very much looking forward now to working with the steering committee and the task force on implementation of the other recommendations that aren't yet in hand. And they're the recommendations in both the independent inquiry report and the Elliott review panel report. And we'll be working very hard to continue to embrace the role of survivors and victims of abuse in the work going forward. Thank you.